Good morning. All right. Well, it is uh, our last Sunday of Advent, so we're going to light one candle this morning, and then we're going to light the Christ candle tonight during our family night. So on this fourth Sunday of Advent, as we think about the coming of Jesus Christ, we light the candle of peace. So Grayson is going to light the candle of peace for us this morning. When Christ comes into our lives, maybe, there it is. When Christ comes into our lives, he brings a peace that passes all understanding. The angel declared glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Jesus declared, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. The Apostle Paul writes, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Jesus Christ has come, and because of that we have peace. The tomb is empty, and because of the resurrection we can have peace during even the most troubling of times because we know He is in control of all that happens in the world. Jesus Christ is coming again, and because of that we have peace. Let's pray. Father God, we know that You are a God of peace. We know that you are a God of order and not a God of chaos. We also know that because of our sin, we live in a world of brokenness, of darkness, of chaos, of pain, and of death. And it was into this world that you came. The Prince of Peace has brought us peace. Oh God, give us a peace that passes all understanding. Help us to trust that you are in control over all things. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Would you please stand and let's worship together. Good morning, everyone.
All right, you may return to your seats and you may be seated. Go ahead and find your seat and be seated. Good morning, we're so thankful that you're here to worship with us on this last Sunday before, before Christmas. Uh, next year, Christmas is on a Sunday. Happens once every six years and so that's always fun and, and exciting and so that's what uh, we have to look forward to uh, next year. So I want to welcome you this morning. If this is your first time with us, uh, thank you for being here. We're thrilled to have you. Uh, we want to serve you, pray for you, minister to you any way that we can. We would greatly appreciate if, if it is your first time here that you would let us know that. There's a couple ways to do that. One, there's a QR code on the back of the bulletin that you can scan, or actually inside the bulletin you can scan. Uh, fill out some stuff online, or there's a connection card out there in our foyer. You can take a moment and fill that out. We have a welcome gift for you if this is your first time with us. Um, and again, we just want to pray for you and encourage you any way that we can. Um, so in the month of December, we emphasize our Lottie Moon Christmas offering. And our goal, you see in the bulletin, is $7,500. 
given to date, we have $4,871.68. So, yeah. So, we have 25 bows, and for every $300, we put a bow on that tree that's right there behind Brian. We have 16 bows on there right now. So, you do the math, we still have some work to do. Um, you have this morning, and then you have next Sunday to, to give. I'm going to challenge you, if you haven't given yet, to give so that we can meet the goal of $7,500 uh, as we seek to send missionaries uh, to the ends of the earth so they can tell people about Jesus Christ. Another way for you to give, if this is the first time that you're here and you got some kids, is we have a, a little manger, a uh, little trough up here. Uh, at some point, while we're singing, or the choir singing, you can bring that money up and just throw it right in here, and all of that money goes to Lottie Moon um, as well. There you go. Come on, girls. Come on. Um, so check out this video uh, about some of our missionaries and the work they're doing around the world. Tens of thousands of people rallied Monday to protest last week's coup. The military rounded up the nation's democratically elected leaders. fire on large crowds in several cities. Hundreds were arrested. Despite the growing international condemnation. In the book of Acts and Acts chapter 12, there's a lot of geopolitical things that are happening that everyone would have been talking about, would have been dominating the headlines. And yet in the background behind all of that, without anyone realizing the kingdom of God was spreading like wildfire all over the known world at that time. We work in an area of Southeast Asia that's experiencing a lot of turmoil and upheaval right now, a lot of anger, a lot of fear. At the same time, we've seen opportunities to share the gospel. People are very hesitant to believe in a God that they can't see. People worship both the spirits and Buddha. But when the pandemic hit, then all of a sudden everyone was afraid and everyone's lives were being changed because of this virus that was unseen. Well, hey, you're scared of something that you can't see. Let me tell you about something that you can't see that will free you from that fear, that will give you life. Just outside our city, there's a small village of about 50 people. We got connected to an elderly woman. Our national partner had been sharing the gospel with her. She said, I believe, I'm in. And she has since been just an incredible force that God's used in the last year and a half or two years, we're hearing stories of 30 homes in this village coming to faith, and this entire village coming to faith, and half of this village coming to faith. God's moving in some pretty exciting ways, but there's still a long way to go. Not knowing what the future holds has been really challenging. Even though there's upheaval and chaos in our region and around the world, we are more confident than we've ever been that this is exactly where we need to be. This is exactly what God has called us to do. In the background, maybe not making the headlines, people's lives will be changed, disciples will be made, and the kingdom of God will spread like wildfire. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the work that you have done. We thank you for the work that you are doing. We thank you for the work that you will do. And Lord, it is our prayer, as this IMB missionary just said, that the gospel would spread like a wildfire. In these difficult days, in these dark days, in what for many people are scary days, days of great turmoil, Jesus Christ, you still save. And we need to be men and women who are about that. 
Men and women who, though diverse and different in many ways, come together around core doctrines, the foundations of our faith. Jesus, you being at the center of that. And we work together. We pray, we give, and we go across the street and willing to go across the world so that people who are without hope, without peace, without joy, having never heard, may hear the love of God in Christ for them, that their life might be changed and saved. Father, as we continue to sing together, as we continue to worship, as the choir will sing here shortly, as your word will be proclaimed, O God, be glorified in it all, and Spirit of God, move in this place. Move in our hearts. Speak to us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand again? Let's continue to worship together. Sleeping in the night, he will bring. 
this time our kids are going to make their way to children's church while they're making their way out let me just uh, extend an invitation to you to come back tonight uh, for our family night of worship it'll start at six o'clock our adult choir is going to sing a couple songs our kids they're singing and so parents our kids tonight when they sing they're going to be standing on this side of the stage so you may want to sit over here rather than the parents over there if you really want to be able to see your kids when they sing, we're going to have a children's sermon tonight. We're going to have a couple videos, a couple dramas, and then we're going to end the night with our candlelight. 
uh, together. And so lighting of the candles and singing Silent Night, Holy Night. So I want to encourage you to be here uh, at 6 o'clock for that. All right, if you have your Bibles, would you please open them to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to be in verses 4 through 6 um, this morning. So let me give you just a little bit of context and background uh, as, to, as to why these verses are here and, and why they're placed where they are. So um, as you look at verses 1 through 16, there's three things that, that Paul's doing, and I want to compare this to a physical body. He's talking about the church, but I want to compare it to the physical body. So he begins verses 1 through 6. His focus is unity. One body. So right, you think about your physical body, you have one body. You don't have two, three, four bodies. You have one body. And so Paul is saying the church, a healthy church, is united. It's one body. And then beginning in verse 7, and we'll see this when we get in uh, beginning of January, not only is the body united, but the body is also diverse. The church of Jesus Christ, a healthy church, is diverse. Different gifts and talents and abilities and so you think about your physical body. You have one body, but you have different parts, different functions, right? So your eyes and your ears, different places, they do different things. So the body, right, united, it's also diverse. And then as you wrap up, like verses 13 through 16, he talks about how the church is spiritually mature. So you think about your physical body, right? Your body grows and it matures. You, you don't stay little forever. You grow and you mature. And so the, a healthy church is spiritually mature. So here's what Paul's doing. He begins the second half of the book. Remember the first part of the letter is the indicative. This is who you are in Christ. This is what Christ has done for you. The second part, chapters 4, 5, and 6, is the imperatives. This is how you live. And so he begins by saying you are to maintain unity but then he goes on to talk about in verse 11 how the church is diverse. So how can a church be united and diverse at the same time? And the answer is found in verses 4, 5, and 6. These verses serve as the foundation. So last week somebody made the comment about, man, you know, this stuff is really hard. It's very practical talking about how we walk in humility. And the first part of the, the letter is just, this is who Christ is. And we, we like that better than being challenged as to how we're to live. But when you come to these three verses this morning, he goes right back to the doctrine. Right back to the foundations. So you and I are to strive for unity. But this is really, really important. Hear me. It is not a unity or a peace at all costs. Our unity has a foundation. Our unity and our diversity in the church is built on something. Unity is vitally important. Paul says be eager to maintain it. But it's not a unity at all costs. Let me, let me show you what I'm talking about. Paul says to walk in humility. That doesn't mean be wishy-washy. That doesn't mean be wishy-washy in what you believe and uncertain what you believe. Paul says you are to walk in gentleness, but that doesn't mean truth doesn't matter or that you can't ever correct or rebuke someone living in sin. And so truth matters. We are, we are to live our lives based upon foundational, non-negotiable truths. And Paul's going to unpack that for us in verses 4, 5, and 6. G.K. Chesterton, Chesterton wrote this. He says, what we suffer from today is humility in the wrong place. Modesty has moved from the organ of ambition 
modesty has settled upon the organ of conviction where it was never meant to be. A man was meant to be doubtful about himself. When we're to walk in humility, we're to walk in humility as it relates to ourselves and how we see ourselves and how we see others is more important than ourselves. A man was meant to be doubtful about himself, but undoubting about the truth. And this has been exactly reversed. We are living in a day and age of relativism, where everything is true and you can't correct anybody or tell them how their living is wrong or this lifestyle is wrong. Every road leads to ultimately the same place and we're all going to hold hands and sing kumbaya in the end. We're all going to the same place. Right? That's not what the Bible teaches. There is a truth, and our unity and our diversity must be built upon this truth. So here's the big picture before we read these verses together. The big picture is we are one because God is one. We are one. Unity is possible because our God is one. And as we read verses 4, 5, and 6 in just a moment, you are going to see the Trinity clearly mentioned here. One God in three persons. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One God. And because there is one God, we as His people are to be one. We are to be united. So if you have a copy of God's Word, and I hope you do, would you please turn to Ephesians 4 and stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. And notice the repetition of the word one. Beginning in verse 4. There is one body and one Spirit. Just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. You may be seated. Now look, there's a lot to unpack here. We could spend seven sermons talking about each of these one statements that Paul makes, and we're going to condense it in about 20 to 23 more minutes of the message. And so some of them are going to go through fast. But I just want you to see, big picture, what Paul is doing as the Spirit of God uh, speaks through Paul. So we're going to do this in order, verse 4, then verse 5, verse 6, and we're going to center it around the Trinity. So notice number one, God the Holy Spirit. God the Holy Spirit. Paul writes, one body, one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. He starts with one body. And he begins with one body for a reason, and that is because it has been his primary concern in these exhortations that we are one. And he goes back to chapter 2. So I hope you have uh, God's Word open before you follow along with me. Chapter 2, verse 15. By abolishing the law of commandments, expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, verse 16, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. What you had, I remind you, is Jews and Gentiles at odds with one another are now being saved through Jesus Christ, and he's bringing them together into one church, and he's reminding them you are one body. Not two, not one body for Jew, one body for Gentile. You're one body there's one church. So when you think about the church, there is one church. There is one universal church that consists of every person who's given their life to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, past, present, and future. There are not a thousand churches. There's one church. That one church is then expressed 
manifested in many local congregations. Northside Baptist Church is not the church. You don't have to be a member of Northside to be a part of God's church. There are a lot of wonderful, Christ-centered, Christ-focused churches in Noonan. 50-something churches just in the Western Baptist Association. But all of those expressed churches living out life together comes under the one ultimate church of Jesus Christ. There's one body. Then he goes on to say, there's one spirit. Again, he goes back to chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 18. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. This is important. There is one Holy Spirit. The spirit that is at work in you right now is not different than the Holy Spirit at work in my life or somebody else in this church. There's one Holy Spirit who indwells His people and is working through them. The Spirit that was poured out upon the disciples in the beginning of Acts at Pentecost is the same Spirit of God who was later poured out upon Gentile believers at the house of Cornelius. Several chapters later, but it's not a different Spirit. It's the same Spirit of God poured out. God has given us His Spirit. And He is doing a mighty work in our hearts and in our lives. You need to understand that, Christian. You are indwelt with the Spirit of God. The same Spirit that you see doing powerful things in the New Testament indwells you. There is one Spirit. Not one Spirit in America and another Spirit in a different country. There's one Spirit. And He goes on to say, one hope. One hope. Again, we go back to chapter 2. Verse 12, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. And now, a couple chapters later, he says, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. We go from no hope to one hope. Paul says it's one hope. It's the same hope. And that hope accompanies God's call in our life. So when God calls us and we are saved, you have hope. Hope of the promises of God and His Word. But our ultimate hope is in the fact, the reality, that Jesus Christ is coming again. Amen? Amen. That's our hope. That Jesus is coming again. Titus chapter 2, verse 13. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. There is one hope, and it comes through Jesus. Now, a point of application before we move on to verse 5. The Word of God is clear. There's one body, one spirit, one hope. And yet, you look at the church of Jesus Christ today, and what do you see? Lots of divisions, lots of church splits, lots of different denominations who believe different things about God's Word. And you see that, and you hear what Paul says, and you're like, okay, what's going on? There's a contradiction. There's not a contradiction. But there's an important distinction you and I need to know. And that is the difference between the visible church and the invisible church. Like, what are you talking about, visible and invisible church? Well, J.I. Packer describes this well. He says, there is a distinction to be drawn between the church as we humans see it, And the church as God alone sees it. This is the historic distinction between the visible church and the invisible church. 
Invisible doesn't mean that we can see no sign of the church's presence, but that we cannot know as only God, the heart reader, knows. So there is a church that you and I see visibly, and there is the church that God sees. What you and I see are churches on different corners, different denominations, many who split over silly things like the color of carpet and the style of music. What God sees is one church united under the blood of Christ that consists of all those who've given their life to Jesus Christ. Now, question. How in the world can there be so many different denominations and so many different divisions? There's only one Bible. Like, how do we get Presbyterian and Methodist and Catholic and Southern Baptist and all these other different Baptists? Well, a couple different things are at play here. Number one, it's called sin. Sometimes there's a church split because of sin, because of pride. First Baptist becomes Second Baptist and moves down the road because somebody got upset. The First Baptist started singing some contemporary music, and they thought hymns should be the only things we sing, and so they left. Look, that's just sin and pride. We don't split a church over stuff like that. But it happens because of sin. The other reason, the reality is that we're finite. We don't know everything. And therefore, because we don't know everything, you have godly men, godly women, who will disagree. There are godly men and women in this room who will disagree over some doctrines in the Bible. I, I call them tertiary issues. Important, but, but not worth splitting over. Like end times. In, in the events in which Jesus Christ is going to come and how that's going to play out. Are you pre-millennial, post-millennial, amillennial? Are you pre-trib or post-trib? And you're like... Dude, what are you talking about right now? Some of you don't even know. Some of you are dogmatic. You, you believe these things. And so, so some of these things, baptism, other things, we have churches split over them, and there's disagreements. One of the things that was most helpful to me down in Florida is I began to gather with pastors on a monthly basis. We had Presbyterians in there, Church of God, Southern Baptist, maybe a, I think there was a Methodist. Um, all of us agreed that you're saved through Jesus Christ alone. The foundations we agreed upon, and then there were other things that we disagreed upon. But let me tell you another reason why we see so much division in the church. And this is what God sees and God knows. That just because you claim to be part of the church, visible, that we see called Northside, doesn't mean you're necessarily part of the invisible church that God sees. Churches are filled with people who have made a profession of faith they walked an aisle, they filled out a card, they were baptized in some water. They professed it, but they never really began to follow Jesus. It was all just the outward expression. There was never a heart change. They never really believed and confessed upon the name of Jesus Christ. So what we see is somebody who walked the aisle, filled out the card, and is saved. What we can't see is their heart. Now we can see the fruit we don't see their heart. God sees the heart. And the reality is that one reason there's so much division in churches today is because there's a lot of wolves among the sheep. There's a lot of lost people among what we see as the church of Jesus Christ. The reality is there's only one body. There's one church. There's one spirit of God. And there is one hope that we have been called to. And that's what we stand upon. Because of the work of the Spirit of God. But then we continue to go to, this, to, to another second person of the Trinity, and that is God the Son. Verse 5. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. 
So here's another one. One Lord. One Lord. Two things I want us to consider under this title of Lord this morning. But before we do that, I want you to see how Paul uses it in Ephesians chapter 1. So chapter 1, verse 15. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus. Your faith in the Lord Jesus. Chapter 3, verse 11. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. So two things. One Lord referring to Jesus Christ. Number one, to identify Jesus as Lord meant they were identifying Jesus with the God of Jewish scriptures. When you study the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, hear, O Israel, the what? The Lord, Yahweh, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. He's Yahweh, he's Lord. And so when they refer to Jesus as Lord, right, they are understanding that Jews recognize God to be Lord. Therefore, when they call Jesus Lord, they are identifying him to be God, the Son of God. One Lord, Jesus Christ is Lord. He is God. But then here's the second thing. To declare Jesus to be the one Lord meant the early Christians were saying Caesar is not Lord. Jesus is the one Lord. He is God. Caesar is not. And no one can lay hold to this claim of lordship other than Jesus Christ. And if Jesus is your Lord, as Paul says in chapter 4, verse 1, it meant you were willing to risk your life for the Lord of your life. So there is one Lord. I've shared with you that I went to Japan in 2010. One of the most powerful things that I saw there was on a Sunday morning when we got to worship with Japanese brothers and sisters in Christ. And we would, we would sing a song. We'd sing one verse in Japanese and the next verse in English. When we sang it in English, I knew it and I could sing it. And then they would sing it in Japanese, and I was lost as could be. Didn't have a clue what they were saying. And then, right, we'd sing it in English, and they didn't really know English, so they weren't singing. And then when we'd come to Japanese, they would start to sing. Here's what I saw in a, in a land far, far away from my home, in a different country, with different ethnicity, different language, people that didn't look like me. In that room, there was one Lord, and His name was Jesus. And we sang about Jesus. And here's something that I learned that day. And I don't think I've said this from the pulpit. I know I was, I was going through a couple weeks ago and I don't think I said. Here, here's what I learned. This is really, really important. What I learned is I have more in common with a Japanese brother and sister in Christ who knows Jesus than I do a white American who doesn't know Jesus. You hear me? We make a lot about nations and I get that. America, but you and I have more in common with somebody who loves Jesus and knows Jesus and is not an American, then you do your neighbor who loves this country but is lost and going to hell. Because ultimately, you're, you don't have that bond, that one Lord, that one faith that comes only through Jesus Christ. And so when we hear of other, in other countries and what God's doing there, we ought to rejoice because that's brothers and sisters loving and following Jesus. We have one Lord, then it continues, we have one faith. Now, this could be referring to a couple different things. One faith could be referring to faith as a body of doctrine that all Christians believe. So this faith is this body of doctrine that all Christians believe. This is how Jude uses it. To contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Or faith here could mean a trust, an individual trust, that a person places in Jesus Christ to be saved. It could refer to either one. Here's the point. 
It's not one faith for you and another faith for me. It's not this road may lead to God and my road may lead to God. It's not one faith. There's one faith. It's Jesus Christ. Faith in Jesus Christ or you are lost and going to hell. We trust in the same Jesus for salvation. We believe the same faith once for all delivered to the saints. And then he says, one baptism. One baptism. The word for baptism means to submerge or immerse. It involves a person being totally submerged into something else. Now again, Paul could have two different baptisms in mind here. The New Testament talks about a spiritual baptism and it talks about a physical baptism. So if you have your Bibles, if you have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 6. Because we see this distinction in Romans chapter 6. And then I'll tell you which one I think he's speaking of and, and why, but Romans chapter 6, verse 3. Romans chapter 6, verse 3. He says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Right? This is talking about a spiritual baptism. Paul, over and over, talks about us being in Christ, in Christ. Spiritually, you're in Christ through the work of the Spirit of God who baptizes you in Christ. You're baptized into the one body, the church. So it could be referring to the fact that you and I spiritually are now united with Christ. Or it could be one baptism referring to physical baptism. That's verse 4. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father we too might walk in newness of life. And so we talk about physical baptism. We believe that is baptism by immersion, baptizo, by immersion, right? So when you get in the baptistry and you go down into the water, you are saying, I'm buried with Christ. I've died to my sins and I'm raised to walk in newness of life just as Christ was raised from the dead. One baptism. I think Paul is speaking of physical baptism, because he links baptism with Jesus instead of, in verse 4, with the Spirit. But he's talking about when you give your life to Jesus, your first act of obedience is to declare publicly that you now belong to Jesus. That he is Lord and Savior of your life. So here's the point of application. There are those, we talked about this a couple weeks ago as we began chapter 4. There are those who want Jesus to be their Savior, but do not want Him to be Lord of their life. There are those, and if you're honest, maybe you're one of them. There are those that the thought of going to hell and living separated from God in hell is terrifying. And so when you were 7, 15, 25, you heard of hell, and you didn't want to go to hell, so you prayed a prayer, and you asked Jesus to save you. Because you want to get out of hell free card. You want some comfort in knowing you're not going to hell. But the idea of Jesus being Lord of your life, of ruling over you and reigning over you and telling you this is okay and this is not, this is holy and this is not, this pleases me and this does not, this is how you are to live. Well, you're not quite as interested in that. You don't want to go to hell, but you also don't want Jesus to be Lord. Listen to what Romans chapter 10, verse 9 says. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is what? Lord. And believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. See, our churches are filled 
with people who made a verbal confession, but never a heart response to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. It's why they never mature. It's why they never grow. It's why they're never concerned about the things of God. It's because for them it was just verbal. It was just, I don't want to go to hell. But they never declared Jesus Christ to be Lord and ruler of their life. What Paul says is we have one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and then lastly, God the Father. God the Father. One God, verse 6, and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. What I want you to see here is there is one family. One family. Again, we express that here on this earth with millions of families. Northside being a family. But we're really all part of one family, the family of God. Brothers and sisters in Christ. John MacArthur writes, We are one people under one sovereign, omnipotent, and omnipresent God. Look what Paul says. We have one God and Father of all who is over all. God is sovereign over all. And I believe the all here is speaking to his children, his sons and daughters. He's the father. In a sense, he's the father of all because he created them. But in a special sense, he's our father. We call him Abba through Jesus Christ. So he is sovereign over his family. He is omnipotent. He is working through all. He's working through his people. Hear me. God right now is working through you. He's working through you. Every single one of us, he's doing something through you, and he's omnipresent, meaning in all. And omnipresent, he is in all. So hear me before I make one last point of application. Either you are in the family of God, or you are not. Either you are saved, or you are lost. Either Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior of your life, or he is not. Either you're in the family, or you're not. And here's what we believe. We believe that by confession of sin and repentance of sin, and turning from sin and taking hold of Jesus Christ, we can enter into the family of God. And every person who's alive on planet Earth, it ought to be our desire to see them repent of their sins and to believe in the name of Jesus Christ and to be saved. So here's the point of application. Point of application for us this morning that I want us to think about as we close is missions. It's missions. Jesus says one of his final words, right, back in the end of Matthew 28, he tells us that we are to go, right, and make disciples of all nations. What's a disciple? A disciple is someone who is learning of Christ and who is following Christ. So we are to go see people who are not following Christ to see them start following Christ. And then Jesus says to his disciples, he says, you're going to be my witnesses in all Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Right? Jesus told us we're the salt of the earth, the light of the world. Jesus is clear. There's a work for us to do. That is to make disciples and to be his witnesses and to see people who are not reconciled with God and be reconciled with God. He, he doesn't hide that. He's clear. So the question for us is, do we really believe Jesus? Do we really believe Jesus? Because if Jesus didn't really believe that he was the only way to be saved, then he wouldn't have made these statements. Right? The reason Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, no man comes to the Father but by me, is because he's the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can be saved apart from him. 
There's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. This is true. We believe this. So if there is many gods, and there are many ways to God, and you can worship however you want, then either Jesus is a liar, or we don't believe him because we're not living on mission. There are not many faiths. There are not many roads that lead to the same destination. Buddhism, Hinduism, Mormonism, they can't all be true. The, 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 the claims that Jesus makes are exclusive. It can't be Jesus plus these other things. It's exclusive. So either Jesus is a liar or he's telling the truth and we don't really believe him because we're not really living on mission for him. There cannot be many saviors if Jesus says he is the savior. If the angel, right, if they declare this is Jesus, he's going to save them from their sins, there can't be many saviors. There can only be one savior, and his name is Jesus. And if we believe that, we're going to live our lives on mission so that many people can come to know the name of Jesus. Here's how I want to close. Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. And as you enter into this Christmas season, brother, sister, guest, visitor, friend of somebody that you came with this morning. Do you know that good news of great joy? Do we really believe that it is good news of great joy? Because if I believe that, and you believe that, then we are going to live on mission for Christ like we have never lived on mission for Him before. Because if it is good news of great joy... For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, the Savior, who is Christ the Messiah, who is Lord. And that is good news of great joy. And it is this, this doctrine, one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, who's Father over all, this This is our rallying cry. This is what we stand on. There may be some other things we disagree, but we rally around these seven things. Our unity and our diversity is grounded upon this because this is the hope of the world. And you have it. And I have it. And many of them have never heard it. And if we believe it, then it will change the way we pray, the way we give the way we live, it'll change everything about us. It is good news of great joy, and it's for you, and it's for me. Do you know that good news of great joy? Would you close your eyes and bow your head? Fathers, we come to the end of this message as we prepare to sing in response to what we have heard. Father, I just thank you, Lord, as I talked about last Sunday, for the unity that exists at Northside. It's a sweet unity, a sweet fellowship, godly people. 
We don't see eye to eye on everything. We, we have our opinions and our preferences. But Lord, I believe it is a church who is standing firm upon these foundations that Paul lays out for us here in Ephesians chapter 4. Oh God, your church is to be the salt, it's to be the light. We are the ones, God, that you have set apart and you have sent. Help us to live lives that are sent. God, here's my prayer specifically right now. Over the next six to seven days, we're going to gather with people who are unbelievers. We're going to gather with some family members that we don't see often, we don't talk to on a regular basis. We, we may see people out in the community that we know them by name, but we don't know them real well. We may gather with people at a Christmas party. God, we're going to be around lost people. People who are without hope. God, are we men and women who really believe that Jesus, you are the Christ, the Son of God, Lord and Savior of our life. And apart from you, Jesus, we have no hope, no peace, no joy. If we believe that, then God, will we open our mouths? Will we speak out of a heart that is overflowing because of the truth of who you are and who you are in us? Will we speak the name of Jesus? Will we call people to repentance? Will we stand for this truth? Will we declare that we have good news of great joy? And oh God, if there is anyone here today who does not know that good news of great joy, then right now, Spirit of God, would you convict them. Draw them to yourself that they might be saved. That their life might be forever changed as they declare you, Jesus, to be Savior and Lord of their life. We ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand. I'll be here at the front if you want to come kneel and pray. If you want to come take me by the hand and say, Pastor, I want to know Jesus as Lord and Savior of my life. Would you share, me, share with me how I can do that? I'm here. You respond as the Spirit of God moves. Oh, my God.
you may be seated. So I um, want to have a moment of prayer. Larry Chappelle just shared with me that Angela Jordan has suffered a seizure um, and, and is being taken to the hospital. That's why the he stands uh, had to leave. And so I just want to say a prayer uh, for Miss Angela. I don't know the extent of that, but just want to lift uh, her up to you uh, and lift her up in prayer. So let's go to the Father in prayer. Father, Lord, we know that you are the great healer and the, and the great physician. And Lord, when one of our uh, sisters in Christ, uh, Lord, has a health concern, Lord, we want to lift her up to you. So Father, we just lift up Miss Angela to you, Lord, as she is on the way to the hospital. We don't know the extent of this, uh, but Father, we just pray uh, for her, praying for your healing hand <clears throat> upon her, God, for your protection. Lord, want to lift up... Um, doctors and nurses to you lord they are they are overwhelmed they are bombarded i know many of them just have to be physically exhausted their job is hard as it is and uh so lord we just pray for strength for them and the doctor that will, will care for angela and the nurse uh lord just praying for them lord we, we thank you for the hope the hope that we have in christ that when when we get uh bad news or, or news that isn't good uh, Lord, that we can still uh, maintain that hope. And so we, uh, we just thank you for that and just lift her up to you and pray that we would be prepared to serve and love any way that we possibly can. In Jesus' name, uh, amen. Let me mention just a couple uh, things to you. Don't forget about tonight, 6 o'clock. Uh, we'll have candles for you when you come in. Make sure you grab a candle. Um, also, continue to pray for Curtis and Ann. Their plan was to be here tonight to be part of the, the family night, for him to leave one of the choir songs. But he's been having some blood pressure issues in, in the last week. And so his doctor just recommended that he hold off until the beginning of January before he tried to return to get that under control. And so just continue to pray for them. They miss being here greatly. And um, so just pray for them. Also, be in prayer for a lot of people who are going to be traveling uh, this week. My family's leaving on Wednesday. We're heading up to Kentucky to visit with family. Uh, Ryan's side of the family, my side of the family, haven't been able to see my brother in a year and a half. Uh, last Christmas they had COVID, so they couldn't come in. So looking forward to being with them. So be safe, enjoy, enjoy your time together. I won't be here next Sunday, uh, but my brother Mark Runyon is going to be preaching and bringing the word. I'm uh, going to talk a little bit about Ecuador and, and missions and an upcoming trip that we want you to be praying for there. Um, and just continue to pray for those in our church who are sick, uh, many people with different needs at this time. All right, if you'll stand, Larry Chappelle is going to close us with a word of prayer. He's our deacon of the week. Let us pray. Dear Lord, as we gathered this morning, dear Lord, in worship and celebration, we want to be ever mindful of your precious gift to us. That in the time of a dark and sinful world, You have delivered the light of the world, your son, Jesus Christ, into this world for our salvation. And dear Lord, just as the sun shines through these windows this morning and lightens and brings light into this room, we pray that the, the light of Jesus brightens our heart and dear Lord, that we share that light with the world around us. So as we go out this week and celebrate the birth of Jesus, 
keep us ever mindful that that is the reason that we gather at this time. We just pray all things in Jesus' name. Amen.